Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. Reflect on history like we did today. We can't help but think of those people like Martin Luther who were just so impacted after centuries of darkness, being, being enlightened, Lord, by having Scripture in their own language before their eyes and the impact that that had on their heart. May we continue that historical tradition here in Graham, Washington today by being ordinary people who may not be educated uh, in all things of Scripture, but have access to your word, that we may dwell in it and consume it and seek you in it. And may that be the power behind our words and actions, the authority of you that comes from Scripture alone. So may you do a work in our church this morning through your word. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you know how as a parent you're not supposed to have a favorite child? Well, for pastors, at pastor school, they tell you that you're not supposed to have a favorite Bible verse. Well, I say that because if I'm being honest, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, the verse that we're going to look at this morning, is my favorite verse in Colossians. In fact, it's the reason why I picked Colossians to be the first sermon series that I did here at this church. It's not only my favorite verse in the letter, but it's also, I believe, the verse that should be our family verse as a church. That this should be the verse that defines us. This should be the verse that gives us a blueprint for our future as Graham Emanuel Baptist Church here in Western Washington. Because I have had the chance to know a lot of pastors. I've had the chance to know a lot of congregations. I've had many opportunities to serve and be an intern and be a pastor at different churches all over the country. And I can't help but notice both in churches and in families and in individuals' lives, for lack of a better term, the spinning of wheels. Churches constantly change their name in order to try to make themselves seem fresh and relevant to their audience. Pastors will come and go, and the more talented the pastor, the more people will come. More programs will be made by churches. They'll hire creative directors to try to push themselves on social media to try to be as relevant as possible. New books will come out, new programs, new philosophies will come out on how churches can be successful in the world's eyes. And we have congregations that are just packed full of people yet people who are stagnant. People who either like to think of themselves as Christians and they're not really Christians, or if they are Christians, they are really just Christians at best. And they bring their kids, and the kids go to the youth groups and the children's programs, and they have a great time, and there's exciting things that happen, yet these kids, many of them, still grow up to become adults who are far from God. And churches just go through an ebb of flow with the next talented pastor and the new name and the new branding, the new program and the new events, all while people are not growing. They're not becoming more like Christ. Their children are not becoming more like Christ. And we basically just show up week after week just hoping that showing up, being a part of church, doing the programs, trying hard, having good intentions, that that will be enough even though behind the scenes there's broken marriages and there's broken families and there's people who just live completely, totally 
fake and double lives. They show up to church and they present one thing, but they are living lives that are just racked with sin. They feel hopeless. I don't want to be a pastor because I get excited about new church programs. I'm actually very bored of that by this point. I'm not a pastor because I feel like I need to be on some kind of platform where I can win a large audience and we can be so proud of ourselves for the size of church that we are or that we become. That is also just very boring to me because those things don't have eternal impact. Those things really don't fix marriages. They don't bring children to the Lord. They don't create lives of people that are vibrant and on fire for the Lord as much as we like to say that it does. But what does excite me is God's Word. That's the reason why I've made the decision to be dedicated for the rest of my life to this thing that we call ministry. Not because of the programs that we can do or the people that we can attract, but because we have a book that is supernatural. And I don't say that word lightly. When I say supernatural, I mean that we have a book that can do something that nothing else that is natural can do. We have a book that can change the attitude of husbands and of wives. We have a book that can change a heart of rebellious stone in a teenager to a heart of submissive flesh. We have a book that can change a heart of haughtiness and an attitude of pride and greed into one of humility, and nothing else can do that. No other pastor can do that, and no other program, no church calendar can do that. Only God's Word can do that. And that's why I'm here at Grandma Emanuel Baptist Church. And that's why I want us to be here together at Grandma Emanuel Baptist Church. Because of God's Word, and specifically of what Paul has to say about God's Word in Colossians 3.16. So turn there with me if you haven't already to what might be my favorite verse in Colossians. That is, at least until I start preaching next week's verse, and then that will become my favorite verse. But I really am serious when I say that as I thought about what book to preach on at Graham Emanuel, I saw this verse in Colossians, and this almost alone made it worth going an entire year in Colossians, just so we could preach this one verse, because this is the secret recipe. This is the 27 herbs and spices. This is the secret Coke recipe of God's church. And it's not so secret. It's been in our hands this entire time. And it's the verse that should define everything we do. So read silently with me as I read out loud verse 16 from Paul to the Colossians when he says this, Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is the blueprint. And do you notice the center of this blueprint? Do you notice the most important ingredient in this recipe that Paul gives? It's not find a more talented pastor. It's not upgrade your social media. It's not hire a creative director. It's not come up with a new children's program. It's let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. God's secret ingredient that's not so secret for a healthy church, a healthy person, a healthy family is his word. And the big idea for this morning that he's going to flesh out in this verse that we're going to use our three points to dissect is really summarized in this, that 
people who call themselves Christians and families who call themselves Christians and churches who call themselves Christians should be so inwardly influenced by God's word that it impacts others outwardly. God's word should be so present in you inwardly that it impacts others outwardly. That is Paul's call to a church that, I remind you, was a relatively healthy church. Paul was not writing Colossians because there was a major problem to solve like there was with the Galatians. He wasn't writing to prevent a problem like he did with the Romans. He wasn't even writing to assuage their fears of how he's doing in prison like he was for the Philippians. He's writing to the Colossians in thankfulness for the way that they are following Christ. Yet even this healthy church that Paul was thankful for, he still felt like they needed to know the words of verse 16. And in that sense, I think Graham Emanuel Baptist Church can relate to that. Because I do think we're a healthy church. And I look out at this congregation and I see sincere people who sincerely love God and want to honor him with their lives. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't look to the verse that we see here and take it for granted. That doesn't mean that we should pass over the instructions given in these words and see them as elementary or as something for somebody else. We need to see them as something which belongs to us, a command that even a healthy church should seek after to do, which is to be a church that is after God's word, where it is present in us inwardly so much that it impacts others outwardly. God's word, nothing else. So let's talk about those three points for the rest of our time this morning. Our first point is this, that God's word should be present in you inwardly. These three points are really just breaking down the different phrases in this verse. Paul starts out by saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You'll notice that he starts out verse 16 the, way, the same way that he starts verse 15, where he commands the Colossians in verse 15, to make Christ and his peace the ruler of their hearts, in the same way he's using that same imperative language, he's commanding the Colossians, don't be fooled by the word let. This is an imperative word. He's commanding them that the word of Christ should also be dwelling in their hearts. It should be dwelling in them, and it should be dwelling in them abundantly. Notice how he describes the Word of God in this verse. He doesn't call it the Word of God like it's normally called. This is the only place where it is specifically called the Word of Christ. That Christ is associated with the Bible. And the reason for that is because your feelings towards the Bible is a reflection of your feelings towards Christ. No matter what you say about how you feel about Jesus, how you really feel about Jesus will be reflected in the way that you feel about the word of Jesus, in the way that you feel about Scripture. So, for example, if you say that you love Jesus, yet the Bible is simply something that is helpful every now and then, and not necessary to read every day or to consume or to meditate on, well, that's how you feel about Jesus. You feel that Jesus is only someone who's needed every once in a while and not every day, every waking moment. If you believe, if you claim that Jesus was a real person who you have to follow no matter what, yet you believe the Bible is a book so confusing that it's really up for interpretation, 
that it's not really clear what it says, and you just have to try your best, and your own truth can be your own truth of whatever you think the Bible says, well, then that's who Jesus is for you as well. That if the Bible is whatever you want it to be, then that's a heart that actually believes that Jesus can be whatever you want it to be. You cannot be someone who loves Christ yet does not have a love for his word. You cannot be someone who desires to follow Christ and do not want to follow his word, who does not want to seek Christ in his word, to read God's word, to meditate on God's word is how Psalm 1 puts it, to reflect on it, to consume it in such a way that it is living and residing in you. If you claim that you love Christ or you follow Christ, yet you have no hunger for his word, you don't really have a hunger for Jesus. There's many churches who foolishly actually brand themselves on this. They say, well, we're not really an academic church. We're not the kind of church where you come to really learn the Bible. We're more of a relational church where you can come and experience Jesus, where you can come and they'll throw out words like the Spirit, and they'll say you can come and you can have an experience with Jesus without feeling pressured to learn all of these details or facts about the Word. Church family, the way that we have a relationship with Jesus is through his word. God revealed himself to us through his word. Jesus, in fact, is called the word in John chapter 1, verse 1. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that God previously spoke to us in prophets and many times in many ways, but it says that now God speaks to us through his son. He calls the word of God his son. He uses those two labels interchangeably, when God gives us the word and when he gives us his son, Jesus Christ, he wants us to see those two things as connected. Jesus is a real person with a real body who was born to a real woman who was truly resurrected and residing in heaven, yet the way that we relate to Jesus and know Jesus is by seeking him in his word. There is no other option. That's what Martin Luther realized in 1517. You realize that you couldn't experience Jesus in the elements where they claim that Jesus was present in the elements. You realize that you couldn't experience Jesus through the authority of the Pope and the papacy where they claimed that the authority of Jesus was residing. Martin Luther realized that in order to get to Jesus alone, you could only do that through Scripture alone. And that's what Paul calls for here. A church that is after Christ must be a church that is heading and going after Jesus. Scripture, which is why we as a church, we must be, no matter what we call ourselves, no matter what denomination we associate ourselves with, we must be at our core a Bible church. That must be our authority. That must be our creed. That must be our label. That must be the thing that brands our very identity. Not what another association tells us to do, not the authority that is found in another conference or a book or a pastor, but only in what God's Word says. That has to be what guides us. And in fact, even the Baptist denomination itself, a product of the Protestant Reformation, started with those individuals who were so committed to consuming God's Word and letting God's Word dwell in them richly that it convicted them to realize that only those who were truly saved by faith were those that ought to be baptized. Therefore, they baptized themselves again. And that's how they received the nickname as Baptists. 
But it wasn't because it was baptism that was so important. That was just one of the many applications that they received from seeking God's words. They were Bible followers. And by being Bible followers, that made them Christ followers. There are many Christians, and you may even be one of them, that you may be a part of a church, you may even be a genuine Christian, you may take part in events or activities or programs, yet if you are not having God's word dwell and reside in you so richly, meaning so abundantly that your cup overflows and it spills out to others, you are being disobedient to God's word here in Colossians 3.16. Husbands, you are not leading your marriage well if you are not someone who is seeking Christ and his word consistently. If you are not dwelling on God's word in such a way that it impacts the way you even talk to your wife. Fathers, you are not leading your household well if you are not leading in such a way that you are reading and talking about and communicating with each other with Scripture. This fulfills what God even said in Deuteronomy 6, what we call the Shema, where he tells the people back then, the Israelites, that these words of Scripture should be on their hearts and it should be on their forehead and it should be on their doorpost and they should talk about it when they sit down and when they stand up. He wants families to exist in constant dwelling and reflection on and communication of the word. More than anything else, more than what school you send them to, more than homeschool or public school or celebrate Halloween or don't celebrate Halloween or all these questions that we rightfully try to consider as Christian parents, none of that is more important than prioritizing God's word in your marriage and in that will have an impact on children because it's the only thing that is supernatural. Nothing else can do what God's Word does. So, if you are a Christian but you have not been reading your Bible, if you have not been consuming Scripture, if you do not make Scripture a theme of the way that you talk and interact with each other in your household, step up. Pursue this. Be like Martin Luther. Be like those Baptists. Be like Paul and the Colossians and continue the faithful history of God building his church through what his word says. You will be amazed at the results. You'll be amazed at the way your heart changes and your marriage changes. You'll be amazed at the way your children change and the way even our church changes. Any church that embraces this. Let's now look at the second point. Because up to this point, all of the instruction that's been given in the first half of verse 16 has been very individual and personal. The desire to, the need to consume God's word, pursue Christ individually in your life by reading God's word and meditating on it in your heart. But the second half of the verse gets interesting because Paul begins with individual in the first half, but he expands to community in the second half. The second half of this verse talks about collectively what the community of a church should be doing together for each other. That if you are actually seeking after Christ and his word so consistently, so abundantly, that it's pouring out into the lives of others, this is what it should look like. Paul defines what that should look like in any truly Christ-following church. It should look like a congregation of people who are teaching each other. That's your second point. It should impact others outwardly through teaching and wisdom. The words that Paul uses are 
to teach and admonish each other. Notice how he's not giving this command to pastors. Last week I talked about how it wasn't just the pastor's job to create church unity. Some of you might be thinking I'm trying to preach myself out of a job at this point, but it's also not the pastor's job alone to be the one who teaches. Elders are qualified by the distinctive of being able to teach, yet God calls the community of a congregation to be consuming on his word in such a way that they are using it with each other. They are using it to encourage each other, to send each other text messages of encouragement or of reminders that when there's conflict, that they again and again turn to God's word and share it with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be a teaching church in the sense that we are a congregation that is feasting on God's word and sharing that meal with each other. That's what God calls us to do. It's almost as if someday in heaven, if we could see a scroll rolled out you know, at the pearly gates of all of the different ways that good biblical teaching happened at Graham Emanuel, I would hope that only a few lines scattered would be of anything that I taught on Sunday and that it would just be completely buried underneath miles and miles of a list of instances where you all, equipped with God's word, indwelled by God's Spirit. We're using God's Word to teach and admonish each other. Admonish means to correct. To teach means to remind or to instruct. It can be both positive and negative. Feast on God's Word in such a way that the way that our culture looks to an outsider is a group of people who are constantly sharing Scripture with each other and reminding each other of Scripture and always using Scripture in every instance, in every problem, in every counseling session, in every youth group meeting, completely saturated on Scripture, because if you're saturated on Scripture, you're saturated on Christ. But now let's look at the third point, maybe the most shocking point, where Paul ends by talking about something that we usually don't associate with the Bible. We don't associate singing and musical worship with the Word of God and dwelling on the Word of God and teaching the Word of God. In fact, we often separate those two things. We often have some churches that you can tell they're very much primarily focused on the musical worship in their church. Now, that's where they put all their money. That's where they put all their talent. That's how they promote themselves as, well, this is the church where you can come and have musical worship. In other churches, they may say, well, no, this is a, a church where we're just going to read God's Word. We're going to minimize music or we're not going to focus on it as much, where that is a worldly separation that the Bible never intended, that the, that the Bible always commanded, that, that God's intention for a local church is for teaching to happen, both in what is being verbally taught and shared in God's Word, but also verbally through singing God's Word to each other. The church in Colossae, they didn't have cop copies of their Bible yet. They didn't have a Bible app or, or a copy of Scripture that they could read and text to each other. The way that they remembered and reflected on God's Word and the way that they shared God, God's Word to each other was through singing it. Paul describes the singing of worship as a teaching tool within the local church, which is why Pastor Jay makes it a very important priority that any songs that we sing need to either quote Scripture or they need to present uh, clear theological ideas that are present in Scripture because singing is a teaching tool 
And I want to let you know this, church family, singing is not optional for the Christian. Singing is not optional for the Christian church. Do not think of yourself as the kind of person that says, well, singing isn't my thing. Music, it's not really for me. I'm here for the sermon. I'll just kind of stand politely and just kind of nod my head. No, especially if you're a man. Please, lead your marriage. Lead, lead your family. Lead this church by giving booming voices, even if it's not perfect, even if it's not in the best key, to just sing out to the Lord courageously and boldly. That pleases God because that is obedient to his word. And I also want you to notice in this final third point, you can write down as you see above me, through our singing of thankfulness, I want you to notice the words that Paul uses at the end of this verse to describe singing. He doesn't just say sing with hymns. He doesn't just say sing with psalms. He doesn't just say sing with spiritual songs. He uses all three. All three describe different kinds of singing and music in that culture's context. God wants diversity in our singing, in the different styles that we sing, in the different kinds of songs that we sing. Do not fall for that temptation that insists that, oh, worship has to be hymns. And if it's not hymns, we're not honoring God because hymns are the best. Resist that. Grow out of that. Same way, if you're the kind of person that thinks, well, it has to be upbeat, it has to always be happy, it has to be rocking, and it has to be new, or else we're going to scare people away, or else we're just going backwards, or, or, or we're not uh, being relevant in our evangelism, grow out of that as well. That we need to have diversity, as Pastor Jay does at this church, singing hymns, singing different kinds of songs with different kinds of tones and emotions. Because that's what the book of Psalms does. That's what... God calls us to, to have the word of Christ dwell in us in such a way as a church that it's so saturated that it pours out into everything else, including how we share God's word with each other, but also including how we sing with each other. Do not skip the worship time on Sunday. Do not hang out in the foyer and say, well, I'm fellowshipping. Don't use that word to over-spiritualize it. God calls you to be worshiping at God calls you to prioritize the singing on Sunday morning just as much as you prioritize the sermon. These aren't my words. These are the words of God himself in Scripture in Colossians. So as we end and as we get ready to close actually with worship in obedience of this verse, how are we going to respond truly? How are you going to respond in your individual life? Are you just going to hear it and forget it? Or are you going to choose to actually read God's word consistently this week? To lead your spouse in such a way that you're talking about God's word, you're sharing about what you've read? Are you going to parent in such a way? Are you going to be a member at this church in such a way? Are you going to sing in such a way? I was once at a pastor's conference full of churches that would consider themselves good Bible churches. Where the keynote speaker said that, you know, this whole idea that you have to read God's word in order to learn something from it, we need to grow out of that, is how he put it. That we can just relationally appreciate God in this mystical, emotional way of, of reading God's word, and we can do it through music, but that we shouldn't overemphasize this idea that God has given us information in his word. I can tell you what's going to happen to those churches. No matter how good they may think they are, that church will always be a slave to the talent of their people. 
And once those pastors and elders either, either commit some kind of sin that disqualifies themselves or another COVID event takes place or something earthly happens, that church will dissolve just like people dissolve. And I don't want that to be Graham Emanuel Baptist Church. I want to pastor this church, and I want you to be part of this church in such a way that we expect this church to exist 100 years from now. Where the community may be different, this building may look different, the congregation will certainly be different because we won't be here. There may have been many changes between now and 100 years from now at Graham Emanuel Baptist Church, but the thing that will not have changed is God's word. Names change of churches, pastors come and go, God's word does not change. This is God's word, and this is God's church. And I am here, you need to be here, because we are doing the work of looking forward to eternity. Therefore, we should focus on that which is eternal, which is Christ alone as revealed in Scripture alone. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, may you make us a kind of church that is centered on Christ alone as revealed in your word alone. May you convict all of us to seek you in your word in new ways this upcoming week. May you convict the culture of our church to be a church that is saturated in your word in such a way that it overflows to those around us in both our teaching and our singing. God, thank you for our worship team. Thank you for Pastor Jay. Thank you for our singers every week who take turns leading us in obedience in this way. And may the words of our singing be pleasing to you, not because of the key or the pitch or the tone, but because of the heart of faith that is calling out to you with the words that you have given us already in Scripture. We pray this in praise of you and of your Son, Jesus Christ. You call the word. Amen.